like, is this like a movie or something? What are you guys doing? Oh, uh, we're doing a TV show. Can I do something? Can I be in it, man? Like, I want to be on TV. Can you say high octane? It was a high octane rush, man. So we got to think of something really funny to do. Comedy Central says our show's not funny enough. I think it's funny that they gave us a show. <laughs> that, is, that is funny. Hello and welcome back to the Director's Wall, brand new season, season three, uh, Suddenly Sophia <laughs> is what I'm calling it for this episode. If I come up with something better, we will change the subtitle, uh, but we, we pick a filmmaker and go through their entire filmography in chronological order. Season one, we did M. Night Shyamalan, season two, Francis Ford Coppola, now season three, are long anticipated by us at least season three we are going to cover the filmography of Sofia Coppola I'm one of your co-hosts AJ Gonzalez and I'm the other co-host Brian Connolly all right so we finally after a, a, a very long longer than expected time finished up uh, talking about Francis Coppola's filmography last year and now we're ready to talk about Sofia yeah, uh, I bet we can do it in like three years. Yeah. <laughs> so she only has eight films. Uh, and this, this just seemed, it just seemed like a natural move. Because uh, we, we, we wanted to talk about a, about a woman filmmaker, about a female filmmaker. And having just talked about Francis Ford Coppola and then at the end seeing how his last three art house movies had like influences like of her her work yeah in you know showing up in youth without youth and tetro like let's go it, it just feels right it i know it's obvious to go from francis to sophia father to daughter but it just feels right and here we are and i'm excited yeah and i feel like we've already done sort of the the groundwork for it by covering all the francis movies that she was in as an actor and so i feel like we kind of have that going in uh, whereas maybe that would have been a little more daunting if we just picked her without having done Francis. Be like, oh, we got to watch the twenty things that she—that's <laughs> the yeah. first years as her as a child showing up. <laughs> but we don't have to do that. We already did that. And so throughout this episode, and only in this episode, we will kind of go. We're going through basically everything she did up until her first feature, The Virgin Suicides, which we will not cover in this episode. That'll be the next episode. But whenever we kind of go and hit on. One of the Francis Ford Coppola movies she's in, we're just going to quickly talk about it and say, find that episode in the f- season two, because we already talked about her in it and the movie itself. So we don't need to talk about any of those movies again, unless it, it's relevant later on. So to start it off, though, conveniently, so every season we've kind of done a different drink to pair with it, because really this podcast is just an excuse for us to hang out. But we also like movies, so we might as well record us hanging out. Uh, but uh, there's many uh, Coppola wines named after Sophia. Maybe she had a hand in uh, what it was, I'm assuming. And so today we're starting with the Sophia Brut Rosé, Monterey County. And uh, there's nothing on her saying you know anything about it, but it's just a beautiful pink bottle. Really good, really good. I feel I feel we've definitely probably had all of these in the Coppola podcast, where we 
with the Francis one because we had we we only drank Coppola wine, and so we definitely feel went into the Sophia stuff. I de- definitely when we did, I think Godfather Three, we went out of the way to just drink uh, her stuff. But that's how we're starting. But then I think the plan is going forward. If there's a drink that's sort of obvious or prevalent in any of her features, that's what we'll be drinking. Like come to mind, Centauri uh, whiskey yeah. in Lost in Translation, which has a whole long scene about it. And so that's kind of the goal. And if there isn't one, which I'm assuming maybe beguiled just has water <laughs> from a pump, then we'll go back to a Sophia uh, bubbles. And I highly recommend these Sophia drinks. They're really good. I really, you know, rosé is hit or miss for me. Sometimes it's a little too sweet or it's a little too bitter. But I find this one very well balanced. I feel, you know, as all the Coppola wines were, they're all very good. Yeah, the um, oh, the, the wrong kind of rosé can, like, Give me a headache. Oh, interesting. I don't remember which kind, so maybe I'll find out. <laughs> maybe this will be uh, one of them. We'll tell you by the end of the episode. If you're not feeling great, then we won't drink this one again. Uh, I don't I'm, have I'm enjoying it right now. Good, good. So if you hear some effervescence, that's us just pouring we do, another glass. Yes, and we do have it chilling chilling in yeah, ice. So you'll hear some, you'll hear some ice occasionally. We'll, we'll, I'll try not to do it while one of us is talking. Or maybe we'll just cut those parts out. We'll, yeah. Actually, I should pour some now before we before we uh, continue. Just here we go. Let's see if you can hear. Maybe that you can pick that up. I don't know. It's bubbling. It's a beautiful pink color. It looks like candy, and it just feels fitting. You know, there's something very feminine about it. And man, all right. So before we kind of go through everything we're gonna mix it up with the movie she acted in and then eventually the things that she created and wrote uh, all shorts all, or short things for the most part until um, all the way we're gonna start in 1972 work our way all the way up to 1998 so who knows how long this episode will be <laughs> but uh, I I mean I guess just to intro it uh, she's a director that I followed from the beginning saw Virgin Suicides when it came out. I don't know if I saw it in the theater. I don't think so. But was definitely instantly kind of hooked on her style. Was something very unique about it. And also coming out of the 90s, there still wasn't a lot of female filmmakers back then. When there was one, it was very like, oh, you know, you had Jane Campion, you had Catherine Bigelow, but there wasn't a lot. And her kind of coming out of this kind of indie world which was still mostly men, like in the 90s, late 90s, you had, you know, Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson, Kevin Smith, you know, Whit Stillman, like all bunch of guys. And uh, so to have this sort of uh, lady with a unique voice was really exciting. And she had a style instantly that was very unique. And we'll talk about that even with the short stuff, that it's there, it's there. It's clearly a movie by her. And following from... Virgin Suicide into Lost in Translation and how kind of all of the world seemed to kind of get behind her at the beginning was really exciting, a really exciting time. And I think it still is. I think she has proven to be a consistently fantastic and interesting filmmaker. Yeah. Um, Virgin Suicides, of course, was how I got into uh, Sophia and her films. Uh, you know, I was all I was really into Wes Anderson and Rushmore. I watched that all the time and then watching... The Virgin Suicides, it felt like uh, uh, like two sides of the same coin, to use a cliche, or it felt like uh, salt and pepper shakers, you know, <laughs> like these, these pair very well together for me. I have to like 
double feature them or they, they just go together the style the aesthetic from that from there on I was I was hooked and I was very interested and excited to go watch all this uh, early stuff. yeah same and uh, interesting you mentioned those two filmmakers because Roman Coppola kind of has bounces between both yeah. of them you know like he <laughs> writes a lot of stuff with Wes Anderson so clearly the Coppolas and the Andersons are you know a tight-knit crew. Jason yeah. Schwartzman, of course, is a, related to the Coppola. Yeah, he's a Coppola. Tellia Shire's son. So, um, yeah, so let's, I guess, get into it. Um, so, we're just going to go through everything. <laughs> and uh, we, Some will gloss over, some we won't. So, let's start at the beginning. The Godfather is her first credit on IMDb. Uncredited, but credit on IMDb. She played as a, a baby... Michael Francis Rizzi? Rietz, yeah, Rizzi. Rizzi, sorry. And, uh, oh, and it's worth noting, she was born in 1971. So this was when, when she was one years old. Yeah, it's when the movie was shot. So so Francis, her dad, was like instantly like, well, you're going to be in the movies, kid. One years old, you're going to be in one of the greatest films of all time. Do you remember her in that movie? Yeah, well, she's the baby being baptized. The baby being baptized, a very famous scene yeah. in the movie. Uh Playing a man, uh, so already like acting. You know, she's not a man. She's playing a young boy as <laughs> a baby. Uh, again, we covered that movie a lot, so we don't need to go into that. Yeah. <laughs> not, not a lot more to say about um, her in The Godfather. Uh, yeah, but but a very memorable scene. That is a scene that people remember. Because isn't it like, like someone's like that's when everybody's getting killed. Yeah. Like yeah, the other, all... he's taking out all his enemies. While he's uh, at the baptism. Yeah, of it's all cut film. together. One of the great scenes of the film. So then you have Godfather 2 in 74 when she's, you know, like three years old as child on ship, uncredited. My guess is during the De Niro, young Corleone scene. Because that's like him kind of going to Ellis Island on the boat. Yeah. That's got to uh, be where I don't is. remember I her. I couldn't tell you where she is. Uh, we do not talk about that in our episode Godfather 2, so you don't need to listen to it uh, because I didn't realize she was in that. Uncredited. And then more clarification in the 77 Godfather, a novel for television, which was the re-edit of the first two movies. She's credited as Child on Steamship. So not just Child on Ship, on Steamship. So I think that is definitely the uh, immigrants coming over from Sicily scene where they're all in the – he comes off the boat. Then you have The Outsiders, where she actually has a line of dialogue. So, And this is when she was first credited as Domino. This is 1983. So she's, what, 11, 12 here. And uh, she's bo- isn't she like she's bothering like Matt Dillon or somebody while they're parked in a car. And she comes up and she's like being obnoxious. She asks right? for like a dime or something. And he tells her like, get out of here, kid. <laughs> And it's clearly very obviously her. When you watch her, like, yep, that is Sofia Coppola. Because you realize that she has looked the same her entire life. Yep. I mean, definitely more of a goofier kid there. And I love that she uh, picked the name as Domino. So just like her cousin, Nicolas Cage, didn't want to be at the beginning associated with the Coppolas. Yep. Whatever own thing going on. <laughs> Make her own mark as Domino. Then in 1983, same year, she plays in Rumblefish, Patty's sister, also credited as Domino. Again, kind of playing an obnoxious sis, little sister. Little sister. She has more lines. Has yeah. actual more lines. 
Again, all of these we've covered, and we actually talk about her in these movies on the on the Francis Ford, Cop- Francis Ford Coppola. So, uh, interesting enough, uh, when Sofia Coppola is asked by Sight and I think it was Sight and Sound does the big list, right? Yeah. She submitted her list, and in her top ten, she put Rumblefish as one of her ten favorite uh-huh. movies. So, even though she's in it, I mean, it is a great movie. So, if you pick a movie of your dad's, um, it, it's kind of a, it's got to be hard when you're asked to pick your favorite movies of all time, and your father has made some of the greatest movies ever. Like, can, <laughs> is it hard to see? You know, in, like see it without connecting with her dad. I don't know, but Rumblefish on there, good choice. Uh, then you have the other Francis Ford Coppola movie, The Cotton Club, where she plays Child in Street as Domino again. I don't remember her in that. I'm sure we talk about it because um, I'm sure it's obvious that it's her. Nicolas Cage is doing a uh, drive-by shooting. Oh, that's right. And she's the you know a kid on the street, and so she you know gets shot and dives down. That's right. Uh, re- really quickly. So if you don't know that it's her, I don't think you like you might not recognize her. Yeah, and the first of a few things that she did with her cousin Nicholas, yeah. uh, who strangely or maybe not strangely never act has acted in any of the movies she directed. Yeah. So maybe there's just a, a rule between them being like let's not Though that would be interesting, but I think maybe where he is at with his acting like the level of how he acts doesn't really match the tone of her her movies tend to be kind of quiet, and people are kind of underplaying it, and that is not a thing that Nicholas Cage is capable of doing. So I don't think that she could make a movie that he would work in. It's just not a fit. Uh, I'm sure they still get along just fine. Uh, so then, okay, here we go. Same year as those two movies, Rumble and Cotton Club, we have our first thing not made by Francis Ford Coppola um, that is Frankenweenie, Tim Burton's first Live action short. It's a short film from 1984. Also, she's credited as Domino. She plays the character Ann Chambers. And uh, if you haven't seen this movie, it's great. It's very sad. It's very Tim Burton. Like he had his thing from the get go. Produced by Disney, and then they saw it and they were horrified, and they just shelved it. And then they only released it in a video later after Tim Burton became famous. But they thought it was like because he he came out of Kell Arts. And he got like money from Disney to make a thing based on. I think he did those animated shorts like Vincent and different things. And so they gave him this money, and I guess didn't read the script or notice that his short films were about Vincent Price and other dark things. And so he made a very dark, pretty you know good version of Frankenstein, but with a dog. And it's you know not for the squeamish. The dog gets hit by a car. Like it's it's dark. It's very emotional. Uh, I love it. I've always loved Frank and Weenie. I liked it, but it's like, this is for, it's like not for kids, Mm-mm. but <laughs> for maybe a certain kind of kid. <laughs> Tim Burton as a kid. <laughs> for, yeah, for Tim Burton as a kid. It's black and white. It is very, it's very sad. Yeah, very sad, very melancholy about, it. I mean, it's very, very much about death. I love it. I think yeah. it's a beautiful. In that, Sophia plays the neighbor daughter, mm-hmm. and she wears a blonde wig, <laughs> this big blonde wig. I wonder if that was her choice. I wonder if she was like, this is what I'm going to yeah. wear. And uh, she has one line, like she and her Barbie are doing exercises, like uh, like thigh master leg exercises. And, <laughs> and she says, you have to try harder, Barbie. And then behind her, the uh, silhouette of uh, of Frankenweenie, whose name is actually Sparky, and he's not a dachshund. <laughs> so just, you know, clarification on the title, like, shows up 
behind her and freaks her out. She screams, and the dog runs runs off on a little, <laughs> not a rampage through the neighborhood, but the dog's just going through the neighborhood, accidentally destroying things, knocking things over. I think she's really funny in that scene. I think she's yeah. really good. I think it's her best acting yet out of all of them. I think she's <laughs> there's something about, like... I don't know. The t- you know, it's hard to direct child actors, and this is her proving that she can be good even without her her father directing. She gets the tone of the movie. It's really good. It's really funny. Definitely, like a, the biggest part she's had yet. She's in it a, a, quite a bit and has pro- yeah a prominent scene. Um, then we go to Peggy Sue Got Married, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, which we did an episode on. She plays the kid sister. The kid's again. the sister again. And is also is in it a little more, I feel, than the other Francis movies. Yeah. And is good in it. Then we have two episodes of Fairy Tale Theater. Would you like to talk about Fairy Tale Theater, AJ? Alright, so the uh, the episode of Fairy Tale Theater that I saw was the Princess Who Had Never Laughed, where she plays the kid sister again of of Howie Mandel. And uh, in that fairy story princess, she's brought up to be very like serious. Uh, it's narrated by William Daniels. Howie Mandel is a very goofy Howie Mandel kind of guy. Doing doing his yeah hammy big, <laughs> like basically yeah. doing his stand up stuff. I mean, and that's sort of the premise of the of the sh- of the of the show. Yeah, and it's uh, there's like a you know kingdom uh, like a, a thing contest where the kingdom come try to make the princess laugh, and he's like eventually able to like she doesn't fall for his usual shtick but then uh, eventually he does make her laugh and it all works out for everybody <laughs> yeah and she has a few scenes with Harry Mandel because Harry Mandel plays like this poor guy and Ellen Barkin's the princess and and, uh, and so there's many scenes around like the dinner table where they're having like a sad po- poor person's dinner and isn't she the one who, like she encourages Harry Mandel to do it right to yeah. do, do the thing and there's a lot of good people in this episode. Mary Wernoff is in it. Um, Michael Tucci. And uh, Jackie Vernon, who's great. He tells a really good joke. There's a great scene where it's all the comedians in town or the people who think they're comedians trying to tell jokes to try to make Ellen Barkin laugh. And uh, there's actually some really funny material in there that made me laugh, uh, but even though the characters aren't laughing. <laughs> Directed by Mark Coolingham. Not a person that I'm familiar with. I think they just did a lot of... Uh, TV, TV stuff. And that's from 1986. And Tale Theater is a weird show. It was created and hosted by Shelley Duvall. All shot on video. But it's just basically these like strange interpretations of classic fairy tales. And oftentimes they would have, all the time, they'd have famous actors in there, famous directors. There was an episode where Tim Burton directed that's... Uh, Aladdin. Aladdin. That one stars... Robert Carradine? That seems right. The, the Revenge uh, of the Nerds. Yeah, yeah, Carradine. Robert Carradine. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the other episode we already covered, Rip Van Winkle, she's in. We did a whole episode on that. And that was made a year later. That was made in 1987. So, And she's in that as a child, I think, or something. Yeah. <laughs> also credited, in that show, Domino Coppola is what she's credited as. So she's, she added the Coppola. Then we have a movie called Anna... In 1987, which I could not find anywhere, which is too bad because it stars Sally Kirkland and she was nominated for Best Actress uh, for that one. Uh, In a year that was a big, that was the year that Cher won Best Actress for Moonstruck. And I believe that uh, Meryl Streep was up. So it was all these big 
you know, people and having Sally Kirkland, uh, her only Oscar nomination she ever had. Uh, but a movie that is not anywhere to watch that I could find. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe you can rent it on Amazon, but I could not find it. Uh, so I have nothing to say about that one. But she plays a character named Noodle in it. So you have Sofia Coppola plays Noodle. I know it's like a New York City-based thing. Sophia's like way down at the bottom of the cast uh, list, so who knows like what uh, her scenes are. If if that movie's ever available, I'll watch it and maybe we can talk. Yeah, it sounded it. interesting. It's about a uh, an aging actress who tries to get her career uh, going again by moving to New York, and gives advice to a younger actress, and then the younger actress's career takes off instead. <laughs> yeah. So then in 88, you have Tucker, The Man in His Dream, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. She's uncredited in this as Girl at Mellon Publicity Event. Uh, we did an episode on that movie. Do you remember her as Girl at Mellon Publicity Event? I I'm guessing think... no line since it's uncredited. Yeah, I'm, I'm, pretty, I, I'm pretty sure I remember seeing her, but yeah, no lines and... Again, like a, a cameo at best. A cameo at best. But then we have one that I feel is sort of the beginning of her career. This definitely the beginning of the career as a filmmaker. And that's New York Stories, which we do cover in the Francis Ford Couple podcast. But I think it's worth kind of talking a little bit more about if you like to do that since I've been talking much. <laughs> so New York Stories, 1989, just a brief background on it, is an omnibus film. So it's got a, an entry from Martin Scorsese, an, entry, an entry from Coppola, and an entry from Woody Allen. And they're all um, you know, centered on New York. It's all very New York. Coppola's segment is called Life Without Zoe, and it's co-written by Sofia Coppola. They came up with the idea together in a hotel room, and it's about a girl who lives in... A hotel. Her parents are super rich, but they are gone all the time. Don Novello is uh, her butler slash like babysitter, and then um, a new boy moves to town, and he's very mysterious and um, Middle Eastern, I think. That seems right. And there's like a big party, and uh, Zoe works for the school newspaper. And like wants to get an interview with him, and they're all twelve, so it's all very like it's a grown-up seeming kind of story. Like it's about a reporter who has to get a story, but she's twelve. <laughs> you know, she just becomes she ends up becoming friends with with this boy, but it's uh, regarded as the worst entry of New York stories to the point where you can't just say, "Oh, I love the Scorsese one," or "Oh, I think the Woody Allen one is funny." You also have to talk about how. Bad the Coppola one is. I don't think it's that bad. I, I agree, and we we kind of go into depth on that uh, in the episode we do on it in the front in season two. I think there's two things that are happening in this that are sort of what we're going to kind of come back to. One is the beginning of people kind of hating on Sofia Coppola unjustly, which is a reoccurring issue I think with people and her. A lot of accusations of nepotism of like, well, you know. If, if she wasn't his daughter, she would have written this thing. He would have not made this crappy short if he didn't have his daughter write it. Why did he have his t- – she was 17, I think, when she wrote it. And so there's a lot of complaining of, like, if it was, like, written by a real screenwriter, it would have been good. And, like, why did he have his kid write it? It feels like a movie that some, just some kid wrote. 
and she just only gets to write it because she's related to this great or once great filmmaker, depending on whose opinion you're talking to. So you get that bullshit, which will follow through into other things we talk about still, in a way. I think she's still kind of not taken as seriously as she should just because she's related to a very famous filmmaker. And then the argument of kind of this whole Nepo baby thing that people talk about these days of like, well, you get this chance and other people don't and you get it because you're born rich and you're you know related to this famous person. But I mean, you know, it, it it's still a skill to make something good or interesting. Doesn't matter who you're related to. There's plenty of, you know, I'm not going to name names, but people related to famous people with sort of has been careers or whatever. And just because you're related to somebody who had made good things doesn't mean that means you do. Maybe, yes, you get a leg up for sure than other people. I can definitely say that's true. But, you know, Sofia Coppola has still making movies for a reason because they're great and they're interesting and they're her own unique thing. That's not just by accident. That's by hard work and talent. And I think... Also, the, then the second thing, which is also, I think, a critique here, but isn't later on with her other stuff, is that it is very, it feels very much like her movies. It's a lot of hanging out. It's a lot of sort of, it's about sort of rich people and, and, and specifically rich young girls and their woes and their drama. And maybe here it's in Life with Zoe or without Zoe, whatever it's called in New York stories, it is sort of maybe a little... Uh, blinded, like it, it does feel kind of like, oh, I can't relate to this. But I think later on, especially in like Lost in Translation and like Mary Antoinette, she becomes such a, a, a great filmmaker that she's able to kind of comment on that and sort of like be very oh, self aware that she is talking about sort of these rich people that some may see as spoiled or not having real problems, da 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 da. Uh, but I think this one, it just kind of comes off as like, oh, this is just some spoiled rich kid on some adventure who gives a shit. And it's not serious like the other two are. I mean, not that the Woody Allen movie's serious, but like you got these serious movies, seriously made movies by these great filmmakers who were still in their prime. And here's Francis Ford Coppola continuing to be a hack with some shit written by his daughter. I disagree. I think it's great. <laughs> I think all of New York stories is great. And it feels like a Sofia Coppola movie. It really does. Uh, she didn't direct it, but it sure has her stamp on there. And it's not like other Francis Ford Coppola movies, really. It feels more like the precursor to later Sofia Coppola movies. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff we uh, we touched on. We're just in our New York Stories episode. Uh, I feel like yeah, Life Without Zoe sets up a, uh, a template of sorts. It sets up themes that she grows and expounds on throughout her throughout her film throughout her filmography and i feel like as we watch movies i'm going to be referencing back to life without zoe yeah life without zoe is almost like a thesis statement mm -hmm. for her filmography and it's very weird to me that that has yet to be considered like there really isn't considering that she is taken very seriously as a filmmaker now she's an oscar winner like she has a name. People love her movies. And I've yet to read anything that's kind of re-examining this New York story segment and kind of looking at it as not a Francis Ford Coppola thing, but as an early Sofia Coppola thing. And I think if you look at it from that angle and approach it that way, it's really, really good. And um, so don't believe the hate. I think you should watch New York stories if you can find it. I think it's on Blu-ray. 
and streaming somewhere. And I think it's all good. And this one's in the middle. And uh, yeah, okay, maybe it's not as good as the Scorsese one, which is one of the best shorts I've ever seen. It's unfortunately following one of the great shorts of all time. <laughs> but but it's still really good, and I think it's worth giving it a chance. It's worth Yes, and yeah. it's worth watching as a Sofia Coppola movie. Yes. Like, watch it as a Sofia Coppola movie, not as a Francis Ford Coppola movie. Yeah. So then, uh, interesting enough, it, this takes us to uh, The Godfather Part 3, uh, which came out in 1990. She was 19 when this movie was made, or 18, 19. And uh, she's got a major role in it as Mary Corleone. And uh, we did, of course, a whole episode on this in the Coppola podcast in season two. And again, here is even more so the hate that was laid upon her in this movie. Um, just really mean. And we go into it in the episode of just like critics are mean, audience people are still mean about it. And she's not bad in it at all. I mean, yes, her California accent kind of slips out in some scenes, but who cares? She is far from the worst of Godfather 3's problems. Yeah, Al Pacino's flat top is the worst of Godfather 3's problems. It's so out of place. It, there's nobody in the 70s had a flat top like that. Yeah. <laughs> so out of place. Uh, yeah. Unlike Diane Keaton's wardrobe, Diane Keaton's. I'm going to wear whatever I want wardrobe, which is also out of place, but in like a fun, in a fun <laughs> way, um, without going into it too much, because we did a whole episode and talked about Sophia's part in it a lot. Um, yeah, she caught a lot of the criticism and rage people had about that movie. And the most important thing... I think to keep in mind is that Sofia Coppola was not trying to be an actress and didn't necessarily want to be an actress, even though she's she had been doing these acting these acting roles. They were they were all very like small roles, and so it wasn't like she was working her way up to something big. And she was the last minute substitution for Winona Ryder, who yeah. on set was so ill from exhaustion that she couldn't get out of bed. And Francis in a like a fit of uh, insecurity was like, I gotta, I can only rely on people I trust. So I'm casting my daughter. It's very little preparation you're throwing against. Like, here, kid, act against Al Pacino yeah. and Diane Keaton, and you're going to be like one of the main characters of this long-anticipated sequel to, like, there, there, I think there was not a chance that there would ever be not hate thrown upon her. It's... And again, like New York Stories, I, I unjustly hated role for, of her to be hated on. And also an unjustly hated movie. I think that movie's really good. And time has proven that that's a great movie. Don't watch the... Uh, Whatever the new version was, I hated it. But uh, watch the original Godfather <laughs> 3. Yeah, the, yeah. Um, the, the edit doesn't really doesn't do any doesn't matter yeah but yeah we go into it we kind of def we definitely defend her um as you should because she's great yeah. in it she's all right and so you think that that would like in a way it did end her acting 
career because why would you want to keep on doing it after after all that especially if it maybe wasn't what you wanted to do maybe the world owes an apology to Sofia Coppola for yeah. the way they treated her with Godfather 3 so then after Godfather 3 we have the spirit of 76 yes this is where it gets interesting gets very so this is the same year as Godfather 1990 this is a movie directed by Rob Reiner's brother Lucas Reiner Son of the great Carl Reiner. Written by... Nepo Baby. Roman... Oh, yes. Direct... Yeah, this is a Nepo Baby party. Uh, then it's written by Lucas Reiner and Roman Coppola. So this is sort of the hey. intro of Roman Coppola not just doing... He did a lot of second unit for his dad and did some effects things. But here he actually wrote the story. The first of many... He's often credited as story writer for a lot of Wes Anderson stuff, like not necessarily screenwriter, though though there is some he's listed as screenwriter. And he became a director himself, who's really good. I, he only directed two movies, CQ, which I think is great. And then whatever that long title is, that Charlie Sheen. A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III. Also great. But so this is a very strange movie. It's a, The plot is that in the far, far future... The great David Cassidy of Partridge family fame. He's like a mechanic or an inventor. Devo, the band Devo, plays this sort of like government group. And they show up and they're like, you need to go and fix the... Because like, David Cassidy's been working on like a time machine sort of thing. And they're like, you go in the past to 1776 and figure out sort of how they wanted this country to go. So you can bring this back to us. I think bring us the Declaration of Independence so we can fix our society because the society's become kind of this sad Orwellian sort of like place. And so he's like, great, let's go. And so then he goes in the time machine um, with Olivia Diabo. I think that you say her name. But they accidentally go to 1976. But they don't realize that it's not 1776. So the whole movie, they're like, here's where America was invented in 1976. And so then it's just lots of jokes of, you know, what it was like in the 70s, which was still the bicentennial. Yes. And so there is that going on. So there is a very a presence of like, there's a guy who's wearing like a large butterfly collar shirt with the Declaration of Independence on it. They're like, ooh, that must be the Declaration of Independence, that shirt. And it's just a kind of like, you know, it's that sort of comedy, uh, fish out of water, is that what it's called? Or what would you yeah. call that? Where it's like they, they, they're from another time and they're learning about things and learning about themselves by being in the 70s. You have a great performance from a Leif Garrett, uh, what, what I can assume was a recently sober Leif Garrett. And there's a great part where he's dancing the hustle with Olivia Diabo. And then my favorite scene is Rob Reiner has a cameo as sort of like a leader of a... Um, self-help group where he's calling everybody assholes and it's very funny and <laughs> i remember this movie as a kid because i guess they must have played it on early comedy central is my guess <laughs> and i had a friend named andy who he was obsessed with it in like seven, sixth grade or seventh grade and he showed it to me and i was like that's a pretty good that's a pretty good movie and re-watching it again which you can find it on youtube i believe is how i watched it uh, I still think it's really good. I think it's just like a silly, fun, totally effective comedy. Oh, but why we're talking about it was that Sofia Coppola is the costume designer. So that Declaration of Independence butterfly color shirt was something that she bought at a thrift store and intentionally you know, put it on 
you know, an actor. And she got to dress David Cassidy. And the costumes are actually really good. And, like, the future costumes and stuff that Diva wears is, uh, is, is actually pretty great. It's the only time she's credited as costume designer. Oh, not true. I think Life Without Zoe, she also is credited as costume designer. So there's, like, a lot of fashion. And then later on, she's kind of like... Sophia's like, maybe it's because of growing up uh, in New York City, but she's definitely interested in like kind of the fashion world and, and fashion. So it makes sense that she would be into doing costume designing for a movie that her brother co-wrote. Yeah, she did, um, she did an internship at Vogue. When, was, when did she do that? Uh, it would be maybe slightly before, uh, slightly before High Octane. Okay. Which uh, we, we will get to, listeners. Don't worry, <laughs> we will definitely get to that. Then she acts again, but this time in a music video, in Sonic Youth's Mildred Pierce uh, music video. I'm not terribly familiar with Sonic Youth. I just never got got into them. So uh, it was interesting watching this music video, which is black and white. It's mostly instrumental. Uh, they just say Mildred Pierce a couple times, and, <laughs> and Sofia Coppola is in it playing uh, Joan Crawford. Yeah, uh, just kind of making like angry looks at the camera, <laughs> and, like putting on lipstick angrily at the camera. Uh, it's like a two-minute song, two-minute video, but uh, you know it's good. It's on, yeah, it's on YouTube. And it's directed by the great Dave Markey, who did Desperate Teenage Love Dolls. And so uh, it's it's a fun video. And she's a great Joan Crawford. And it's a very memorable video. And I feel it was a video that I I didn't realize that was her. Like, I saw the video long ago and never made the connection that that was Sofia Coppola. Uh, the first of many music videos we'll be talking about in this episode. That's sort of like a thing that was like a lot of... I think she just started hanging out with... Sonic Youth and those kind of people. Like, these are kind of who became her crew, maybe. Because he keeps showing up, sort of. These people keep kind of showing up together. It's on the set of a different Sonic Youth music video, which I don't think she's in, but for... um, Did they have a song called 100%? Um, That is where she met Spike Jones. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah. And that is the, the crew, the... Alt Gen X crew coming together, uh, which which will reach their their zenith here in in just a couple couple more entries. Um, after that, in '92, she is in a movie with the amazing title of Inside Monkey Zetterland, which unfortunately I was not able to track down. So I um, it's about an out of work uh, gay screenwriter. It's it, it looks like a very like indie alternative early 90s movie she plays a character named cindy and um i would like to see it uh, but i just couldn't find it and my uh, monkey zetterland is uh, starring as monkey zetterland and written by steve anton and you might recognize him as he's the bully in the goonies oh. that like his gets on the toilet when they they blow up the toilet and he's also uh, kind of the, the shitty friend in The Last American Virgin. But then he became a filmmaker and directed and wrote the movie Burlesque with Cher and Christina <laughs> Aguilera. So a very, very cool guy indeed. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I, I want to say that I watched that movie a long time ago for the Destroy All Movies punk book that I worked on. I don't think there's a punk in it. Maybe there is. It's been so long. But I know I've seen it, like, 
decades ago. It has a great cast. Catherine Hellman, Patricia Arquette, Sandra Bernhard, uh, Tate Donovan, Rupert Everett, Bo Hopkins, Ricky Lake, Debbie Mazar, Martha Plimpton, Francis Bay. I mean, these are some great uh, actors. So uh, worth checking out if you can ever find it. I could not find it anywhere at all. So then you have, she uh, does some more music videos. She's in the Madonna Deeper and Deeper video, which I think, is that song from, is that from Erotica or is that from Bedtime Stories? I can't, I can't remember. I don't remember. I want to say it's from Erotica. I might be totally I'm, wrong. I'm um, vaguely I, familiar with Madonna's music at best. <laughs> even, yes, even the early stuff. Uh, but uh, it's a great video because so uh, uh, not only Sofia Copeland, and she's in a lot of it because she's in like a seance scene, and then she's in a scene where she's like dressed up as a hippie. But a lot of it's like at the club. Yeah, she's like a but, her and Debbie Mazar, or like Debbie LA Mazar. party girls. But most importantly, the great Udo Kier yes, yes, is yes. in this video. As if you couldn't make a Madonna video more sexually confusing, <laughs> just throw Udo Kier in there, and you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm feeling. I'm feeling something. I love him. That's exactly <laughs> that's exactly the feeling of watching this video. It's like Udo Kier, Udo Kier now, especially post two thousand. I mean, great actor, wonderful filmography, but in the in the like indie horror world, he is revered, right? Like you know, Andy Warhol's Dracula. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's right? amazing. Like Rob Zombie keeps casting him in thing in in his movies, right? Yeah. But if you, you go back enough and watch uh, like the the erotic French film The Story of O, yeah. which stars an older guy as the older guy, a beautiful <laughs> woman as the beautiful woman, uh, and her partner, this beautiful man. I'm watching the movie. I'm like, well, Udo Kier, he's not the older guy, obviously. He's not the woman, obviously. And then there's just this like very handsome man. Like, is that... <laughs> Udo Kier? You better believe it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, He's still a very handsome man. I love I love him. And in uh, this Madonna video, he is like pulling all that like sexiness from, <laughs> you know, the from the early 70s uh, and really channeling it in this video where like he's in scenes with her that are in black and white and she keeps like looking over her shoulder, looking around, and those are the party scenes and they're in color. And it's one of those, that's what I love about good old-fashioned music videos or old-style old music videos is some of them sort of have plots. Like, there's enough going on where you know that something's going on, but, like, you can't explain it later. Yeah. Like, I know it's obvious that there's something going on between the lead singer of The Killers and Eric Roberts and the girl in the Mr. Brightside video. But I can't describe it to you, but you watch it, you know exactly what's happening. You know that that chess match is very important. And you watch this video, it's like you understand exactly what's going on emotionally, dramatically. And it's a good sort of like club era kind of electronic Madonna. It's like there's a good... It's just a good song. It's just really good. And then after that, she's in a the same year... A black, the Black Crows video, Sometimes Salvation, where she's the main lady in it. And it's sort of like her, not a good song, I don't like this band at all. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's a lot of like her 
on the streets in like a sleazy neighborhood. Like, you know, maybe she's a prostitute, but she's like drugged up. And it's just sort of like her looking kind of like spent and drugged up wandering. There's a lot of uh, like maybe heroin, she's a runaway. Heroin chic. Heroin chic, which is very popular in the early 90s. Uh, so it's sort of like it, it's like it's not a very interesting song nor video, unfortunately. The Black not her, not her fault. The Black Crows are a certain kind of band. They're a jam band. It would be wrong musically for me to compare them to like the Grateful Dead or Fish, but they're <laughs> like the Grateful Dead and Fish in that they can just play because they're a jam band. They get into the zone and just play, <laughs> and they they just play music. I was uh, I was with a friend. And one of his friends, and he had just been to a Black Crows concert, and we asked, how was it? And he was like, the guy loved the Black Crows. He's like, oh, it was great, man. You know, they played for like four hours, but it's the Black Crows, so they only (laughs) played like six songs. That sounds like my nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) You know, God bless them. Uh, (laughs) Then, uh, exciting enough, we get the first thing she's ever directed. Which is another music video, but her as a director. For Walt Mink, and the song is Shine. Never heard of that band. 1993. Never heard of it, but type that into YouTube, hit play, and this is a Sofia Coppola film. Yes, it is! It really is! I mean, it's... Like, from 0.0001 seconds on, you know you're watching a Sofia Coppola film. So, this was four years after New York Stories... Six years before Virgin Suicides, and she's got it. She's got it. Like it really is. Like you. Like there are certain directors that are great that you can watch their movies and you're like, yeah, that's pretty good. She's one of those. She's a true auteur where you like you watch ten seconds of something you're like, well, I know who made that. That's the Sofia Coppola directed video. It has her. It's her style in like two minutes. A lot of ladies lounging around, which she really loves. Lounging around in in, uh, uh, in grass and fields. Grass and fields. It's all. Uh, uh, it's very sunny. Yeah. Very. Everyone's very sun kissed. It seems like there's maybe some soft focus effects going on. Maybe that was just the quality of the, of the music <laughs> video. You know, not not everything's been restored to 4K. Um, handheld camera work, so you can get she is like right up in front of people being like intimate the style of the music video is kind of traditional it's just the band the band is playing around the pool and then everyone's hanging out around the pool and the camera's kind of following them uh there's a lot underwater swimming shots i like this walt mink band. yeah i've never heard it. they kind of feel like uh what you think of as like a mid early 90s sort of alternative music is what they would call it where it's very yeah. kind of this is something that would play in like 120 minutes at like one in the morning on MTV. And he'd be like, who's this band? It's not Ween, but it's like these guys. I don't know. They're just sort of, it's not It's not the Lemonheads, but it's uh, Walt Mink. So it just has that nice kind of fuzzy sounding uh, 90s alternative rock and roll music. Very good. Worth checking out, especially if you like her movies. And then things get very interesting with, in 1994... With a show called High Octane, which I can't believe I've never heard of. I can't believe either. Uh, it is on YouTube, the first three, maybe the only... I think there's four episodes, this, but only three are available as far as I can tell. Yeah, on, only uh, three aired. But my God, if there was a 90s time capsule, it's this show. If you want to know, like, what was the 90s about Granddad? 
Just watch this show, and it's like a bombardment of the 90s. It's like it is the most 90s thing I've ever seen in my life. The, it and, has the most 90s statement I've ever heard, which is Kim Gordon saying, Spike and Sophia suggested I put on a fashion show like on in the streets of Soho. So not only is this sort of the end of her sort of being in stuff as a performer, there's, there's a few things after this where she is, but she's the creator of the show. It is produced by Zoetrope, her father's company. And this is also sort of one of the first things where Spike Jones is doing a lot of stuff for MTV. He did skate videos and things before this and during this time. But he's very present in it just as doing it's – it's like the most nice, – it's so good. I loved it. And it's, it's a weird premise where basically it's – so it's Sofia Coppola and Zoe Cassavetes, John Cassavetes' daughter. So you have two – uh, daughters of great filmmakers deciding to do a show for Comedy Central it was on Comedy Central. That is the wildest. Early, part. Like I assumed it was MTV. This is like really early Comedy Central. I started and, watching this thinking that it was an MTV show, and then in the bottom corner, I noticed the old Comedy Central logo. It is insane, <laughs> absolutely insane. And this was on Comedy Central, but it's like. So the premise is these two young ladies, they're probably in their, they're in their early, mid-20s here. Uh, it's like showing you about all this pop culture going on in the 90s at the time in 1994. And for some reason, it's, it's car-based, tying it all together. Because that's why it's called High Octane. So the opening credits has this very aggressive, quick-cut, like, car engine sounds. And it's showing the two ladies doing stuff. And in the very first episode... They're driving monster trucks. Yes, there's a show where Sofia Coppola is driving a monster truck around named like the Terminator 2 or Terminator 3, I think is what it's called. And uh, and she breaks it. She breaks it. And it's just a show hosted by her and Zoe Cassavetes. And it's just them doing like a – they keep cutting to like a car thing. The first episode, it's a monster truck. The second episode, they meet up with famous stunt driver buddy Joe Hooker and he's driving him doing stunts. And in the third episode, they kind of drop the, the car thing. It's kind of not as present in that one. I guess it's a variety show. It's just... it's I don't know so who like, this show's for. Sophia it's, and Zoe go to learn how to drive a monster truck. And so there's a segment, and it's kind of split up throughout the show, of them getting lessons, and the instructor uh, confuses the two of them, which was amusing for me. <laughs> And he's like, Zoe, you're putting your helmet on wrong. Zoe, <laughs> Zoe, Sophia, you're putting your helmet on wrong. But then it's clearly like they're friends too. So like speaking of Sonic Youth, Thurston Moore's on it. There's a thing called like Thurston's Alley. And it's him just in an alley interviewing famous people. So there's one where he has... Uh, uh, Johnny Anna, Ramone. Johnny Ramone uh, on a winter from Vogue. Um, and it's just... And then it's just... There's a lot of fashion stuff in it. So in the first episode, they go to like a fashion show. It's Fashion Week or whatever. It's Fashion Week in and, Paris. But and here's like they, they say like up next for Paris Fashion Week because it's like high octane. So, so is this got about cars or is that it about kind of fashion? And, it, and you would assume, okay, Sophia is going to go to New York uh, Fashion Week. But instead, it's someone else. It's a Some dude in a goatee. Yeah, who I guess is a photographer named Sean Mortensen. And he goes and interviews Karl Lagerfeld. Yep. And is trying to be like funny. But he's not funny. But he's not funny. <laughs> and you know that like 
a young Sasha Baron Cohen saw this and thought, I can make it funny. Uh, and yeah, I can play an idiot and make it good. I, and, that's, and that's how we came up with Bruno. Uh, this guy says to Karl Lagerfeld, like, I promised my mom I'd, I'd steal a dress. Will you help me steal a dress? And Karl Lagerfeld just says, your mom should have taught you how to be quicker. <laughs> There's a great part where he interviews uh, Andre Talley of Vogue. And Andre Talley must have met Sofia Coppola, or maybe he's referring to Godfather 3. But he makes fun of the way she talks. And then she's like, oh, she's like mumbling, and she's like, she needs to talk. She needs to talk like more clearly. And I thought that was really funny. <laughs> and then you have Nicolas Cage, just in a brief bit. Cousin, cousin uh, Nicholas shows up clearly during Kiss of Death. Is yes, my guess. He, is, he, he looks is like in he's in costume. Kiss of Death the costume, yeah. with the uh, dressed like all in white with the goatee, and he's walks up to the camera and is like, "Hey, is this a TV show? Can I be on TV? I'm not, I always wanted to be on TV." And this is not like like coming up, Nicolas Cage. It's just like it's just it, the there's a is, little clip of Nicolas Cage being insane. It's very it, the whole show is these, that's why I thought it was MTV. It's these quick cuts of like you just get like oh, Keanu Reeves' car motorcycle broke down, so Sofia Coppola and Zoe Kazavich pulled it aside and offer him help. That's like five seconds and it's done. And you're like, wait, was that Keanu Reeves? And then like Beck shows up. This is all just in one episode. And then there's like, we're going to hang out with Gus Van Sant in the backseat of his car as he's going to set. And then ends up being the wrong location. That part was really interesting. I don't know what movie he was making in 93. Was that, uh, what was that? I don't even know where don't he know. is in that one. Like maybe to die for my own No, that, that was 97. Oh, maybe even Cowgirls Get the Blues. I think that's it's, it. Uh, but then like the second episode, it gets even better because then you have the Beastie Boys. And I didn't, re- I didn't realize, like, there's a segment from this episode that I've seen before because it's on the Criterion. The Criterion Collection uh, decided once to put out all the Beastie Boys videos because they're awesome. And on it as an extra feature is this thing called Chow LA, which I didn't realize was a segment from the show, which is great. And it's hosted by Zoe Casavetes and Sofia Coppola, and it's like a fake sort of like... They're playing characters. They're, they're playing characters. And Sofia is in a recreation of Jackie Kennedy's uh, pink dress yeah. uh, that she was wearing uh, on the day of the assassination. That that famous, <laughs> that, you know, lovely but unfortunately, uh, you know, notorious uh, dress. And they have their, their hair done up big, and they're playing characters. It's a skit. It also... Also, this show has skits. Yeah, why not? And the Beastie Boys are in their sabotage character, uh, or they're playing the actors who play the characters in the sabotage video. Yeah, so they're like uh, undercover cops. <laughs> like, are they like they there, play undercover TV, cops? There's a TV show where they were undercover cops, and now they're on a TV show playing playing the undercover cops that they are. Um, and sabot- and and then you realize, oh, the sabotage video was directed by Spike Jones. Yeah, like this all, this all ties together, man. This is yeah, and it's really funny. It's really funny. Yeah, it's you can watch alone. Just the Chalala skit is all over YouTube, and you can watch. It's like ten minutes long. It's really good. Uh, but I recommend you watch this whole episode because you also get Mike Watt, the great Mike Watt, teaching Sophia how to play bass. Uh, and then you have um, this interview with Mark Scorsese, which feels very out of place. Yeah. Like, God bless him for helping out his uh, you know, friend's daughter. 
But it's just him being more Scorsese who he just wants to talk about, you know, like John Ford movies or Citizen Kane or what. He just wants yeah. to talk about classic cinema, but it's done in this quick, these quick cuts of like they're trying to, like a man who already talks really fast, who's already kind of an exhausting person when you hear him talk, is then done in these frenetic cuts and it maybe is the most like exhausting thing you've ever seen is like this fast talking New Yorker trying to talk about classic cinema while the camera's just cutting in and out and all over the place and you're like oh my god I watched <laughs> I watched one episode I watched the first episode by myself late one night I was like what is this man it's great <laughs> this should be put out on DVD it is so yeah. good and I want to see the fourth episode which you cannot find but the other thing that was great in the th- I think it's the third episode uh, was this fashion show that her that Sofia Coppola and Spike Jones put on called the X Girl Fashion Show? Yeah, it was um, an X Girl was the fashion line created by Kim Gordon and Daisy Von Firth. And it's just that they did it. It's very. It feels very '90s punk of just like we're just gonna show up and do it outside. And we're and I think they did it during. Did they do it during Fashion Week and they just did this impromptu thing? Or was there, it's it hard just, to tell it's because hard to tell. The, the Karl Lagerfeld Fashion Week interview is in episode one. But then in episode, I don't know, there's only three. It's so crazy <laughs> that you can't separate. And you're going to want to sit and watch all three anyways. Um, it's less than 90 minutes. Just do it. But the other episodes <laughs> then reference Fashion Week. So there's no chronology to this Anyway, but it's this very '90s fashion, and amongst the lineup of models, you can see Ioni Sky and Chloe Sevigny. So, like this, before we knew who these people, or before we knew who Chloe was in movies, she's here doing modeling, and it's it's just very fun and very '90s, and it's fun to see a young Spike Jones. And I'm assuming they were dating that that time, which I didn't realize they were they had been dating that long. So it's just fun to see all these people together, and it's just like again, this show is like the best. 90s time capsule. Um, yeah. It's the, so uh, good. The song to Thurston's Alley has been stuck in my head <laughs> since I've seen this. Can you, can you sing it for us? I, uh, I won't. But it is... <laughs> oh, come on! It is, very, it is very jaunty and lovely and set to Thurston Moore just running around, <laughs> jumping through the air. Sadly, that show did not catch on. It failed. Uh, it was only three episodes. Mm-hmm. Worth finding, too, there's an episode of the... I didn't realize there was a mid-90s John Stewart show where it's uh, Sofia Coppola and Zoe Casavetes are guests on it to promote this, and they're just terrible at it. They don't know how to make people excited about this show. They're very quiet. They don't really engage. John Stewart hasn't quite gotten his hosting chops yet, so he's asking not great questions, but worth watching for an awkward uh, 12 minutes. Um... So then then we go a few years later to a thing called Bed, Bath, and Beyond that she directed. I don't know what this is. Another thing that I could not find anywhere. It's it's definitely a short film. The premise on IMDb, written by Anonymous, says Dominique is desperate to play the title role in her husband Jean-Claude's biopic No Sunrise for Selena, but why won't Jean-Claude cast his voluptuous British bombshell wife as the beloved pop star? And then the rest of this is so confused and poorly worded, I'm not going to read it. She's one of three directors. It's her, Ioni Sky, and Andrew Durham yeah. directed this 28-minute long thing 
that is impossible to find. Um, with no idea. Uh, yeah, good luck with the search engine optimization <laughs> on on that one. Um, yeah, I'm thinking maybe this is like her Sofia Coppola's Fear and Desire. Just like would rather eventually it came that came out yeah. Fear and Desire. Just like eventually, like want to pretend that this thing does not exist. Yeah, maybe it sucks. You know. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, who knows about that? Also in '96, we have another music video. Uh, for the Flaming Lips, the song is This Here Giraffe, uh, yeah, which she, is a nice, gentle little song about a giraffe. And she directed but, it. But it's the Flaming Lips, so <laughs> is it really just about a giraffe? Probably not. Uh, a band I've always enjoyed. And again, it uh, feels very much like a Sofia Coppola thing, There's especially the parts where it's the main singer hanging out in a bedroom. It's like a girl's bedroom. Yeah. So it sort of has that sort of... Pre-Virgin Suicide, sort of like, this is what it's like to hang out in a girl's room. We're giving you an insight into this. And it's a lot of them hanging out. Uh, on the, there's a lot of band laying on the ground again. She likes people just kind of lounging around in the grass and on the ground. Yeah. Um, and then going to the zoo and actually looking at drafts. Yeah. It's good. It's a good video. The outside, outdoor scenes are very, very sunny. <laughs> very sunny, but very soft. In a very Sofia Coppola kind of way. Yeah, not as good as the Walt Mink video, but still totally worth checking out. So then we get to maybe a thing that a lot of people saw before they knew that she was a filmmaker, who she was. The Spike Jones directed Chemical Brothers video for the song Electro Bank. And at the time, this was a very popular music video. It's one of the first videos of Spike Jones I saw. I think Sabotage was definitely the first that I saw, but then this would have most certainly been the second one. And it's a great video. It's just basically... It really is. One of the great videos, as is Sabotage. It's Sofia Coppola. She plays Janet, a gymnast, who it's her turn to do her routine. And she does... And she, uh, you know, does the, uh, it's the floor routine. So there's uh, jumps and flips and tumbles, but then also the, uh, the ribbon, the twirling of the ribbon, and then injures her ankle. Much like, who was the famous? Carrie Strug. Yes. And then it's like, oh no, is she going to be able to finish? And then just then, uh, like her parents come in just then and she sees her parents and she's like all right and she buckles down and then does this you know amazing flip and nails the landing and then uh you know wins and her her coach this big burly man and if i remember correctly carrie strug's coach was also a big burly man yeah comes and picks her up it's a very fun video, and it's a really and she's really good in it. And there's a clearly like her switching out with an actual gymnast because there'll be a lot of her like twirling a like a stream around, and then she'll do a flip where she kind of ducks under the camera, and then there'll be a shot of someone from behind doing these amazing flips and you know cartwheels. Yeah, a lot uh, of uh, <laughs> a lot of sort of uh, like eyes wide shut, uh, like anonymous uh, anonymous backs of people passing in front of the camera. <laughs> Another video that's on YouTube and very, very good. Now that brings us to sort of the main events of this episode. The first, uh, as far as we know, 
narrative film that she made, a short film, which you can find on the Criterion of Virgin Suicide. It's called Lick the Star. It's uh, black and white. It's 14 minutes long. She shot it on 16 millimeter. Lance Accord did the cinematography. It's credited as like IFC Presents, so I have to assume that the Independent Film Channel aired this. Uh, I don't know if it was made specifically for them. But Independent Film Channel used to be just that. And they would just show short films. I, I remember watching IFC and just watching short films and watching films that people had just made with their own money. And, you know, but it aired on IFC. Um, this has an interesting plot. It stars a young actress named uh, Christ- Christina Turley, plays Kate, who missed like a week of school because she broke her ankle and then she comes back in a cast and everyone all the girls are all talking about lick the star and they keep saying lick the star and she looks around and they have like stars drawn on their ankles and no one will tell her why and they're all in like seventh grade and uh the like cool girl the it girl the popular girl is named uh, chloe played by audrey kelly and she eventually reveals lick the star backwards is kill the rats and she's very obsessed with uh bc andrews flowers in the attic and their plan is to poison all the boys of the school not to kill them but to weaken them <laughs> and that's the uh, the big plot the lick the star plot that is going to get unleashed onto the onto the school but then because of uh 7th grade game of telephone you know it's it's like oh it's like Remember when this used to happen in person? It happens on social media now, but it happens in person. They learn about the Civil War, and uh, the cool girl, uh, Chloe, says in a very, like, like well, today you would call, like, misguidedly woke way. You know, she's like, oh, well, they say like that, you know, the Civil War was so bad. But I think it was good, because without the Civil War, then their, their black friend would still be a slave. And then someone hears her say that and tells someone else like, oh, like, and then she said that, you know, this girl would still be a slave. And then that girl tells another girl, like Chloe said that she should still be a slave. And then that gets around. And then she turns up at school one day and no one will talk to her. And then then everyone's saying lick the star to her. And then she's like ostracized. And then uh, Kate, is the narrator's like that's that's how seventh grade goes <laughs> so <laughs> story placed wow. uh, placed much more <laughs> uh stated much more uh poetically uh than, than i just paraphrased there i think it's great because you think it's going to be about them poisoning these kids it's become this thing but then it really is just about like that that plan falls apart it doesn't happen just like an actual seventh grade it's just a thing you're talking about you're not actually going to do it and then uh they, it's just more about bullying and about a shitty and clicky seventh grade. And I find it it's so interesting, like not to kill them, but just just to weaken them, <laughs> just to slow them down. Like we just need to take the edge off of them. And there is in here a Robert Schwartzman, uh, Sophia's cousin, Jason Schwartzman's brother, is one of the kids in it. Uh, Zoe Casavetes is in it as a PE teacher. 
And then you have Peter Bogdanovich as the principal, which is great to see him in there. Again, clearly a Sofia Coppola film. Like, this feels very much like her. This is her style. It's kind of like what it's like to hang out. You kind of feel like you're hanging out with these young women. Uh, again, them lay, lounging the grass, which she loves. She loves young girls lounging the grass. And it's just like fascinating, just kind of like a view into the world of like, this is what it's like to hang out with girls in seventh grade, which not a lot of people are making movies about ever. Yeah. You know, it's not really a thing. And in a very kind of accurate, at least from me being an outsider, being a boy, what it, it was like to kind of hang out with girls or view them and sort of the way they are. You know, it's a very realistic, naturalistic sort of film. And again, do you think it's kind of plot-driven, but then not really, because it's not really about that plot at all. It's more just sort of like a moment in the time at seventh grade. Yeah, and just about how sort of chaotic a week or so can be when you're that young. Chaotic, you know, not just like because it's uh, things are crazy and dangerous, but uh, things just change so much. And it's amazing that so much happens in this in this short. So much happens in it that you feel like it, it, it would be it would be rushed. But I feel like you get to really know these characters, these girls. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if you don't get to know their names, you just really get a feel that they are uh, that they are people. You know, like there there's a sequence of um, Kate gets caught smoking. She gets sent to the principal to Bogdanovich, who declares her a non-student for the rest <laughs> of the year. That's her punishment. And so, like as a non-student, she won't be able to go at any like events or anything no dances or field trips or whatever to me that's a very Sofia Coppola thing being declared a non-student you're there in the school but the school has basically like excommunicated you so you can't participate in any of the school events you're, <laughs> you know you're a, you're an outsider in this thing that you're in it's uh it's a really lovely short film mm-hmm. it's not too it's not so it's not very serious it's not very slight either. Um, you get a feeling with short films that it's one extreme or the other. They're about something super dramatic or they're just kind of frivolous. And this is a, I mean, it's a nice uh, a medium yeah. where there's like, yeah, there's like emotion to it and there's a emotional weight to it, you know. Yeah, it's really good. And you can tell that this must have been either... Practice run for Virgin Suicides, like she knew she was already going to make that movie, or this is how she was able to truly get that movie made. Because it's similar in a way. You know, like Virgin Suicides being the only other thing she made that's really kind of in high school. I guess Bling Ring is. But this has like the thing of sort of what's like this awkwardness, like the girls and the boys, and sort of like the... I don't know. There's just something about it that's really nice and very... It is nice to see a short. It's funny because she's in like these Spike Jones things, which are very clever and very stylistic in this way. And this thing is not trying to be clever. And the style is her style, which is more subtle and really just kind of like a. It's not breezy, is not the right word, but there's something very relaxed about it. And it really is feeling like you're hanging out. You're kind of hanging out with these people and you're having kind of spending time with them which I really like and which I think is sort of in her best films like sort of the tone that she gets to is like you're feeling like you're 
hanging out with these people, spending time with them. It's just kind of, it's really good and worth watching. And again, it's on the the Criterion of uh, Virgin Suicides. And maybe you can find it online too. I don't know. Maybe it's on Criterion Channel. I don't know. But there you go. We're caught up yeah. with the early years. The, the uh, what would you call these years? The, the She's learning. She's uh, she's yeah. jumping around. She's trying I was just different think, things. Thinking of it as early Sophia. And she went to school for, she studied uh, photography. And that was the one thing she like really, um, that she connected with. Like, she's interested in fashion, had these acting experiences, did costumes for a movie. But the camera looking, it seems to be, like, where, you know, she wanted to go and ended up in the director's chair and then ready to direct her own movie. So I think you see her working her way through and out of this, like, Nepo baby thing. I guess the nepotism thing, it doesn't, to me, plague or bother the people that are actually good. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I can see the argument for like, you know, Joey Travolta. <laughs> yeah. Jim ne- G- Connery. <laughs> yeah. Where you're um, like, you're fine or you're really not good at this. But yeah. with it, whether it's like Sophia Coppola or Jamie Lee Curtis or, you know. John Huston. <laughs> yeah, Angelica Houston, John, like these people are all related. Uh, you know, Warren Beatty, Shirley MacLaine, like yeah, people. There's a difference um, between I'm giving my son the company, he is inept, and there's someone better for this job. But you know, fuck it, he's my kid. To someone who's like, no, they actually work hard. The first time, yeah. you know, is like really is is the test, and I guess a lot of people saw Godfather Three as that, but really, her the the test of I'm going to stand out on my own is the virgin suicides. And after you see, you know, that work, after you see the work of the actor, the the director, the writer, and it's it's good. And if it's good uniquely, in a unique way, then real uh, film fans will back off. I think we're about to watch that happen with our next episode with Virgin Suicides. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie since it came out. So as is the case with a lot of the movies we're going to talk about. I feel I saw them in the theater or when they came out and then I hadn't seen them since. So it'll be fun to revisit all of them. I watched it a lot in high school. I watched it a lot in college, but I haven't seen it since then. So... I probably haven't seen this since like 2007, so wow. I'm I'm excited. For me, it would have been probably 2000 was when I last saw it, because uh, I'm old. And it'll also be interesting to kind of watch all these after having just watched all of Francis Ford Coppola stuff. Like I don't think we'll be comparing it often, but it will be kind of interesting kind of see if there's anything similar that she picked up from her father. Or I think it will be more likely we'll compare the stuff we watched of his that came out around the time of her stuff as she's becoming this exciting you know, voice in cinema. I think it kind of affected him more. I think it kind of went the other way. Yeah, so that'll be the next episode. Very excited to be doing this. Uh, we've been talking about it for a while. Uh, and I'm excited to watch all these. And maybe this will be the first one where everything that the person directed is actually good. <laughs> I feel like, and maybe it's just because she's hasn't been making movies as long. Well, no, around this, but as long as Shyamalan, really, when you think about it, I think maybe this is one where I will have enjoyed every, literally everything she's made. There's a few I have not seen. 
So maybe those will be ones I don't like. I don't know. But what I have seen, I very much liked. Mm -hmm. So this is this will be fun. Tune in next time to delve into Sophia's directorial debut, The Virgin Suicides. Let's go to Thurston's Alley.